This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to kick off a new message series on the sacraments. And the sacraments, depending upon your church background, or if you don't particularly have a church background, that may seem like a real foreign term to you, like a foreign language, an archaic term. And so I'm going to first of all talk about what a sacrament is. A sacrament is an inward, or excuse me, it's an outward visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. It's something that's physical, tangible, uh, something that's concrete, something that God, Jesus Christ himself, has given to us. So it helps to manifest for us something that we can't see, what we can't touch, what, what we can't necessarily feel, and that's God's grace and God's presence. And so Jesus gave us the sacraments as a way of helping our faith to become more real and concrete to us. It's it's a dispenser, it's a tool, it's an instrument of God's grace. Now, if you can imagine, the church isn't of the same mind about this. We have different opinions about uh, what is a sacrament or how many sacraments there are. If you come from a Baptist tradition or Reformed tradition, for example, you probably grew up with the word ordinances. You know, we don't they didn't have sacraments; they had ordinances. And, uh, but in, in our Roman Catholic tradition and in the Eastern church tradition, there's actually seven different sacraments. And just a quick listing of those seven, baptism, and we're going to talk about baptism next week. As you know, some churches, they, and we offer this here, we perform infant baptism and child baptism. Some churches only do adult or believer baptism. And Next week's message will talk about why we believe it's scriptural and right for us to actually have little ones baptized too. And so if you uh, have never been baptized or you have family members that would like to be baptized, I encourage you to contact us pastors today and we can talk about the meaning of baptism. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. We call it Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper and we're going to offer Holy Communion today, later in the service. Reconciliation, sometimes called penance in the Catholic tradition. It's the idea that we need to make things right with people. You know, and we've messed up and we've sinned. It's, it's one thing to ask for forgiveness, but what does God want us to do to reach out and make something right in somebody's life? Uh, not a works righteousness kind of thing, but a, making things right, mending the relationship. Confirmation, when some uh, youth or adult is confirmed in the faith. Marriage is recognized as a sacrament in that tradition. Holy orders or ordination. And then finally, anointing of the sick. Now, anointing of the sick, it's interesting, the last sacrament, the Catholic Church actually took that away from the Middle Ages up to the Vatican II, and it wasn't restored to the anointing of the sick until the 1970s. Why is that significant? Well, you know, if a priest showed up at your bedside and you were sick and he had oil in his hands before 1970, that was not a good sign. Uh, You were probably expected to die. But what happened in the Roman Catholic Church, I think, is exemplary of what's happening across Christianity. That in the 20th century, in the 21st century, God's healing ministry, the emphasis of the ministry of healing through prayer, 
has something that's been restored and renewed in the church today. And that's why we want to talk about anointing of the oil or healing ministry. Now, oil, there's nothing magical about the oil. Why do we use oil? Well, you know, in the scripture, oil is used many times. Oil is used to bless the ground or things or places. When we consecrated the new outreach center, we, we placed oil over every doorpost. We wanted God's blessing there. So oil, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a physical, tangible way, an instrument that we are pointing to something deeper. We're calling upon the anointing and the blessing of God. The priests in the Old Testament, they had oil in their worship experiences. It's one of those things that was on the altar. And it's interesting, if you want to look this up in Exodus 30, the way that some people go to great intricacies in brewing beer, they went to a lot of detail about how to create olive oil. Uh, oil was used also to anoint spiritual leaders, prophets, and kings. So when someone was taking it over an office, you were blessing them and anointing them, asking God's Holy Spirit to be poured out on them. So oil is, is something that's utilized as a way of invoking and calling upon God's presence. And in the New Testament, oil is used prevalently for the healing of the sick, for the anointing of the sick. And so I want to ask you to turn with me or look at these words that's on the front of your Pray, Study, Grow. They'll also appear on the screen. I want to just invite us to read these words together in unison. Because these are the words that are instructive by the writer of James, who very well may have been the biological brother of Jesus Christ himself. We don't know that for a fact. So what did the early Christians do when someone was sick? Let's read this and find out. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Or the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And let's look at those words just briefly together. It's interesting, when someone is sick, you call for the elders of the church. Now, that could be uh, the understanding of ordination. It could be understanding in the sense of someone that has a position in the church. You know, I think we are better served when we think an elder of the church is a man or a woman of God who has spiritual maturity. And so... Who are the leaders of the church? They would do this. And you pray with a sense of expectancy. Did you notice the phrase? It will save the sick. There's a will there. So there's this expectancy that, you know, when we pray, we might think something might happen. <laughs> but they had this idea that it was normative. Something would happen when they pray. And did you notice how that confession and humility is tied to this and forgiveness? It's not saying that every time someone's physically ill, they need to have some forgiveness. 
But do you remember how many times in the gospel Jesus would heal someone physically and he would say, your sins are forgiven? So there's this relationship, isn't there, between physical and spiritual healing. And there's this idea, friends, that everyone gets to do this. Everyone can learn to pray. Everyone can pray for each other. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. There, you know, there's something powerful about just two people, any people, doing this. The word minister, do you know what that means, literally? It means to serve. And we believe that there's all kinds of ministers in this church. We are a pastor-led church, but we're not a pastor-centered church. Our pastors are designed to lead ministry and lead the vision of the church and be ministers of the word, but everybody gets to be a minister. Everybody gets to pray. Everybody gets to serve. And everybody can do this. Now, we're not going to take the time to read from Luke's passage, but in Luke's passage and in, in all the, the basic gospels, Jesus sends out 70 people, and he sends them out in twos, and he appoints them to do ministry and to bring peace to people's homes. And he also says this, I want you to cure the sick, and I want you to tell people that the kingdom of God has come near to them. So the kingdom of God is not something that we wait for when we die. It's right here. It's right among us. And one of the integral things we are to do as Christian people, as followers of Jesus, as we teach and we share the message of Jesus Christ and his salvation, guess what? Salvation includes healing. In fact, that's very much what the word means. It's a healing of relationships. It's being restored in our body, in our mind, in our spirit to God. And we all can do this. <laughs> and so, for the first three centuries of Christianity, this was prevalent. It died off, and then in the last hundred years or so, we've seen a resurgence in, in the simple practice and believing that Jesus can heal. What are the four qualities that's needed for those who pray? I love what Richard McAleer says about this. He says we need love and compassion. You know, if we don't love people, we may be many things, but we're not really connected to Jesus. You, you love people. You have compassion for people. You have faith. You have a sense of humility. You know that this is not about you. You know that you have nothing to offer people in and of yourself. And you believe. You have the ability to allow God to act. In other words, when we pray, we give God elbow room. And we ask, God, be God. And lead us and guide us in praying. What I want to do now is invite my wife, Susan, to come join me and... Uh, She's uh, someone that knows more about ministry and prayer uh, than I do. I've learned a lot from her. First of all, I want to say happy anniversary, honey. Happy anniversary. Right. Thank you. Uh, 29 years ago today, we said, I do. And uh, we were nervous then. Yes, we were. <laughs>
Well, last year for our anniversary, we went to the friary to be with our good friends, the brothers. We, took, we picked blackberries and we ended up picking more ticks than blackberries. This year, we're uh, speaking to you all. Next year, maybe I should pick it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a romantic. Yeah. Yeah. You choose. All right. Okay. That's all a right. deal. Well, I know that uh, Luke 4.18 is your favorite scripture, one of your favorite passages. So why don't you start by telling us about this passage and why it's important. Well, um, Luke 4.18 reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. And I was reading this passage about 35 years ago, and the words just leapt off the page, and I could feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me uh, in an inaudible voice, but really speaking to my heart and saying that this and one other verse were my life verses, and that was my purpose for being in this world, and that was what I was supposed to do with my life. So it's been an, an important verse to me. Um, when we think about um, people that have needs, um, we think about, you know, maybe if you were in a car accident, your needs would be visible. You might have something in a cast, you might have a scar, you might have lost a limb. Um, I like the way uh, Judith, our friend Judith McNutt talks about this, and Judith says uh, that when we look at people, if we could just see the scars that they're carrying on the inside, maybe from a great rejection or a loss, that if they had scars that we could see somehow on the outside, we would treat each other with a lot more kindness and a lot more respect. So that goes to the basic understanding of compassion and love and recognizing that all of us have been wounded. All of us have been hurt by people. All of us have hurt people. How do we bring Jesus into our wounds and our hurts? How does prayer work in that regard? Well. God is not bound by space or time. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we re when we read in the Word about what God wants for us, He wants us to be complete and whole. Um, and He's always wanted that, and He always will. And one of the ways that, uh, say, if something happens to somebody that really colors their life, there's um, a loss, they lose a parent as a young child, a, a divorce, uh, a car accident, a sexual assault, something happens that colors the way that person sees the world and it's robbing their today and their tomorrow through prayer, and this sometimes is called inner healing prayer, coming into God's presence and giving him the sorrow and grief, then him replacing that with his power and his love and with the Holy Spirit changes. It doesn't, we don't forget what we, what happened to us, but it's like draining the poison out of a wound that's festering and then refilling it with the power of God for a new, a new perspective in life. So inner healing in many ways is this understanding that Jesus is right there with us. And uh, when, when we pray for people and with people, and I like to ask people to visualize Jesus standing right in front of them. And to me, this is not hard because I really believe that Jesus is right there. And in your mind's eye, if we're praying for you, I'd ask you to uh, just visualize Jesus standing in front of you. And then I ask the person, what would you like to give to Jesus? What would you like to hand over to him? And that opens up a lot of things that, like a peeling of an onion, where people 
hand over their hurts or their wounds or their addictions or their relationships or their troubled marriage or whatever that might be. And you just let that happen. And you give voice to that. And you're handing this to Jesus. And then after you do that a while, you can also say, what would you like to receive from Jesus? What would you like Jesus to offer you? You know, our biggest hang-up probably in life is we're just not very receptive. We don't know how to receive well. (laughs) And Jesus has so much to give us. So what do we need to receive from him? And it's amazing what begins to happen when we begin to pray that way. Not once, but throughout our lives. I love uh, Richard McAleer's words when he talks about inner healing. He says that inner healing fills the gap between the love that was needed and the love that was received. When the memory has been bathed in love and in light, it loses its ability to affect, to influence the present in negative ways. The memory is healed. The memory no longer has that effect on us. It never hurts us. It never sours us. It's no longer toxic in our life. And all of us need need that kind of healing. Listen, Love, Pray is one of the most significant ministries that we have at Schweitzer, and you lead that ministry, so why don't you tell us about it? Well, in 2001, and if I was brave, I'd ask who's ever heard of Listen, Love, Pray. People say they never heard of that. It is such a secret. But in 2001, we started this ministry, and um, we have faithful prayer ministers that undergo quite a bit of training and ongoing training so that they can uh, pray for people there's rack cards out in the racks by the visitor center and there's some uh, referral cards on the communion rail today that tell you about it as well as in your bulletin and how you could go about making an appointment but what happens is is somebody who has a need in their life say maybe they've been watching the news on tv too much and they just uh, are overwhelmed i mean it it can be anything but usually it's a relationship a physical need emotional or spiritual healing that they and wholeness that they would want and they would um, make contact and ask for a um, appointment which usually lasts about an hour and you would meet with two trained um, prayer ministers uh, guys with the guys gals with the gals and um, they will listen to the individual they'll listen love and pray they'll listen to the individual They'll ask if it's okay if they lay their hand gently on their shoulder, so that would be laying on of hands, and you can say no. They ask if you would like to be anointed with oil, and you can say no, you can decline that also. And then they try, as they, as they listen to you, they're trying to listen with one ear to God and one ear to the person. Um, and then pray as they feel led. And there's a Oh, a lot of times people come and they feel like, they describe feeling like a sponge that's been on the, on the kitchen counter that's just dried up and cracking. And if, if one more drop was to be wrung out of that, if one more thing went wrong, if one more person had a need, one more financial problem came up, they would just crack and crumble and blow away like dust on the wind. We do um, what we call soaking prayer, where we quietly pray for that person as God comes and fills them with his presence, uh, hope and resurrection power to replace sorrow and, and other things that people bring up. And sometimes God, well always, God knows what you need. And sometimes there's something you might be needing that you weren't aware of that um, ties into the problem. So 
uh, we, I think it's important to say, too, that here at Schweitzer, we really uh, believe God, God heals and restores in many ways. We believe in medicine. We pray for our medicine that'll do just what it's supposed to, pray against side effects that'll do nothing else. We pray for our medical teams that are gonna be providing surgeries and other ways that God heals. And by vocation, I do psychotherapy. So of course we believe in um, mental health counselors, mental health teams. And we say, do not stop taking your medicine until you talk to your doctor. But one of the most exciting things is when somebody comes in waving their MRI, and we've had a couple of these where they said, wow, I've got you know, a little bit of cartilage built up where the MRI said there's nothing, or whatever medical test, I'm not very medical, but said there was nothing there before. And um, I think that that's really exciting. Um, step families, blended families, sometimes we see some powerful um, relationship, healing of relationships, but because it's so confidential, we just don't go around talking about what we're doing and we can't really share very much about our answers to prayer. Would you say a word about uh, blockages, the idea that uh, there's oftentimes things that are in our spirit that can block God bringing healing and love to us? Well, one thing that really blocks um, the power of God coming and moving either through us as prayer ministers or in our lives as individuals is unforgiveness. That would be a great example of that. And I love Agnes Sanford. She's one of my heroes of the faith. And when she was teaching a children's Bible school, what she did, instead of all the wonderful decorations, she took them outside and they were kind of on a, on a sloped area. And the kids took sticks and dug a trench in the ground. And she had the little kids drop in pebbles, leaves, little twigs, things that they found. And then they poured a pitcher of water in and the water was muddy, it didn't go anywhere. And then they took out the blockages as she talked to them about unforgiveness, resentments, things that could make a difference in our life, a lack of love. Um, and they poured the water in and the water clean um, and pure just flowed down the little trench and right on down the hill. And I thought that was a real good visual of um, blockages. Well, we're having vacation Bible school this week in case you didn't notice. And this week there's gonna be four or 500 kids hopefully here running around all over the place. And when you think about it, we get these kids about 12 hours this week. And we may get kids on Sundays about 40 hours a year, if you're here 40 Sundays in worship time. You can double that maybe. But the parents, and, and many grandparents, they get them thousands of hours a year. And so uh, one of the most important things is how do parents, grandparents, be spiritual leaders? How do they, do they learn and the value of praying for your kids and praying with your kids? Because that's something that you were really good at and more consistent than me. Well, one practical thing is to write down the answers to prayer that you get as a family. That really builds your faith. And, and when things come up and you can look back and refer to that, it really helps people in life. But and I don't know why we waited until the last couple years, but the last couple years that Jonathan and Alexandra were home with us, we would um, pick a certain day of the week, and that's another practical suggestion, have a definite time, and we would put um, one family member in the chair, and the rest of us would gather around and lay our hand gently on their shoulder and pray for them and for their needs. And I think there's something very powerful when mom or dad takes their turn in the chair and shares, like 
at our house, like maybe it's loving your neighbor, or, you know, something that they know because they live with you, they know what's hard for you. If you're honest, if you're vulnerable, if they pray for you and then they see answers to those prayers, that really gives them um, tools for life and it gives them um, skills that's gonna help them and help your kids and grandkids and on down the line. So I like, I like that idea. Thank you, honey. You're welcome. Appreciate it. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Imagine what would happen in our households and our families if we confessed our sins to each other and prayed for each other that we'd be healed. Uh, what if families began to pray with each other in ways that goes beyond just maybe a memorized prayer at the table? What would that look like for you? What would be one new practice or step that you'd want to start? What can you do?